This is Nadia from the Relativity Podcast, and you're listening to Discussing Who. There's a murder, a mystery, and Agatha Christie. Oh, I'm sitting all the time. <laughs> Chief Inspector Smith from Scotland Yard, known as the Doctor. Miss Noble is the plucky young girl who helped me out. I say. Thrill is in the chase, never in the capture. Show yourself, demon. Oh, oh my God. If anyone can solve this, it's you. Show yourself! Our nemesis remains at large. This has certainly been a most entertaining evening. Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who. I am Kyle Jones, and on this episode, we will be doing a review of the unicorn and the wasp. And who are we? Well, again, I am Kyle Jones, and welcome back, Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I am very well indeed. Very well. I'm glad to hear you're the same. Ah, good deal. Good deal. So what's been going on with you lately since we last recorded? Still cleaning up after the flood, and I am... Hard at work in pre-production for the next episodes of Relativity. Sweet, sweet. Ah. So, as of this recording, you just uh, released last week a uh, interview that you did with the author or one of the stars of Tendril, I believe is the name of it? Correct. Tendril, the Banshee Chronicles. Yes. Very good interview. You guys had a good time based on just listening to it. Katie is a great deal of fun. Yeah, just wonderful. And a very infectious laugh, I noticed. Yes, yes. <laughs> so let me ask another person on this podcast, Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? Doing good, man. Doing good. Happy to be on another episode, man. So what's been going on with you? Anything fun lately? Uh, no, man. Just living the life. <laughs> good <laughs> <and> major. <laughs> good deal. Good living deal. Living the life. Well, um, this, I actually had something fun happen on Friday, sort of a mystery that I had to solve. And I will mention someone in just a moment. But since this is about a mystery with Agatha Christie, it couldn't have happened at a better time that I get this box in the mail and I get this mysterious <laughs> piece of paper inside of it describing this gun slash looks like a Weapon slash looks like a medical device slash has something to do with the silence. So, Lee Shackelford, my friend, tell us a little bit of story behind this mysterious gun. <laughs> well, I knew it was your birthday coming up, and I wanted to send you something perplexing. And, um, yeah, and I found that and said, oh, this is sufficiently perplexing. So I took it out of its packaging. But yeah, uh, what's the what's the company that does all this licensing for Doctor Who? It's called Character Character Options. Is that can't be right? Anyway, but they had made a a, a working replica of the nano recorders from uh it's not Day of the Moon. It's uh the Impossible Astronaut. The Impossible Yeah, or no it is the Day of the Moon where we see it. But anyway, but that 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 two-parter there where um yeah, where the silent, where people can't remember things, and the doctor has a way of uh, keeping track of things that people have uh, said and heard anyway. And so it has to do with this little, this cute, cute little uh, hypodermic injector. Okay, so so what, I sent that to. You. So whenever I first got it, my first thought was, "Oh, I know exactly what this is. This is going mm-hmm. to be the the gun that River had in the Impossible Astronaut Day of the Moon two part." Right. So I immediately, you know, call up the episode and start looking at it. And I was like, that's not it. But it, but everything was pointing to that. So you gave me a little bit more of a hint because you said something that happened 50 years ago in July. And so I did a Google search and I was like, okay, it has to be that. So I literally got my iPad out and went for almost with my finger frame by frame until I found it. And then I found it and took a picture and sent it to you. So thank you. That was so much fun. I'm so glad you enjoyed that. 
Well, I did. I did. And I hope you enjoyed me enjoying that. Yes. <laughs> so one thing else I also enjoyed, uh, Clarence Brown, thank you again on Saturday. You spent a little bit of time with me on my birthday as we went to Mississippi Comic Con for a Doctor Who panel. So how much more fun can you get than that, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good fun. And uh, just as always, thanks uh, to Laura, Matthew, and uh, Angie for being along for the ride with us um, as we did another panel at Mississippi Comic Con. Cool. Well, again, thank you. appreciate your time on Saturday, and I agree with what you just said. Thank you to the three of them. And for anyone else that was in the room that came out to see us, our hats are off to you. So, gentlemen, question, do you have anything else in the news or you want to talk about before we get into the review proper? I got nothing. All right. Good deal. For anyone listening, if you have not seen The Unicorn and The Wasp, if you have not seen it, then here's what you need to do. Go put us on pause. Go out. Watch the episode. Because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Affirmative. Spoilers. All righty. We are back, and we hope that you didn't leave us on pause indefinitely, that you are <laughs> back listening to us. The Unicorn and the Wasp was the seventh episode of the 2008 series of Doctor Who. It starred David Tennant as the 10th Doctor and Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. This episode originally aired on the 17th of May, 2008. So general overview, Clarence, what did you think of this episode? Hmm. I seem like I remember being better than it was this time around. I think yeah, I said this a lot, but I think it was fun. Uh, but I don't think it's one of my favorites, unfortunately. What about you guys? Mm, Lee, what about you? Well, this is one of my favorites. Um, but, um, you know, I, I guess anything that sort of, um, plays into your home court, uh, feels that way. I, my wife and I are huge, uh, Agatha Christie fans. Um, so, you know, the, the idea of going to, you know, meet her and be involved in, uh, an Agatha Christie murder mystery that happens because Agatha's there is, uh, is exciting. And, uh, it, it's a fun cast, terrific cast. And, and the story is told with, um, a real jaunty, sense of humor that i really like and it's um so yeah i just i love everything about it but i realize that may be i i may be sort of um predisposed to like it because of <laughs> hmm. so interesting and in that i find myself in the middle ground between the two of you for my interpretation I seem to have enjoyed it a little bit better the first time around but at the same time I did like the mystery elements and it reminded me that I like mysteries and I don't read or and or listen and or watch enough of them. So that leads to my next question, mm. which is, are you a fan of mysteries? And Lee, I'm not even going to ask that question to you. <laughs> don't ask. Because I think I know the answer and anybody mm. that's been a fan of us listening to our podcast knows the answer. So Clarence, yeah. are, what about you? Are you a fan of mysteries? I'm a fan of mysteries in certain cases. Um, in a lot of ways, I think of a lot of the Black Mirror episodes being mysterious, but not necessarily mystery. Um, and, and as far as this episode, it seems like I couldn't get over the, I couldn't get over the mystery because I knew there was some, um, alien centric element behind it. So that, in that sense, it really didn't catch me. For some reason, hmm. which is interesting because that leads into another question that I wanted to ask the both of you is what do you think of adding a sci fi element into a traditional whodunit? So while I'll leave the, you know, the ball in your court. So what do you think about this wasp that's in this otherwise totally normal whodunit? Uh <laughs> I will say I do like how it played out. I do like the way it ties in um, to the mother. I forget her name. Um, wow. Help me out here, guys. 
Yeah. Miss Ellison, she, Lady yes, Ellison. Yes, Lady Ellison. Edison. Uh, or Edison. Yes. Ed, is it Ellison or Edison? Edison. I, Edison. I thought it was yes. – yes, yes. I thought it was Ellison too, but it's Edison. Yeah. Edison. Clemency Edison. Yes, Clemency. Yes. <laughs> uh, my head was shaking when you were saying that. Thank you. Yes. But Miss Edison, I, I like the way it tied into Lady Edison and um, the mystery behind um, her mysterious um, onset of malaria. Upon mm-hmm. returning, it, I guess so. I guess in essence, I did enjoy it because I thought it was real well written and it made a lot of sense in the way it played out. So I don't, I don't know. I, I hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Lee, what about you? What did you think of putting this scientific sci-fi twist in this 1920s England? Well, it wouldn't be Doctor Who without it. Um, I say that, but I'm also thinking about the classic series episode, Black Orchid, um, which uh, is – this almost looks like Black Orchid um, um, because there's the, the big house party and, and everything, and it's the 1920s. But – and there again, the alien presence is is much more muted. There isn't a humongous wasp, for example. So yeah, it's 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 just because it's Doctor Who. If it was some, if it was if this was uh, you know somewhere else, uh, it might not be appropriate. Mm. So for me, I think the way that the wasp did not age well, and the sense of the special effects did not age well to me. Mm. I think that was what kind of took me out of the story because there is a scene where. They are running in a hall or running up the stairs and you've got the big bad wasp and it's like the wasp is holding on to the ceiling and you see the wasp stinger like, you know, like punching at them as it's holding from the ceiling. And I'm like, this don't really look authentic to me. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And sometimes it's very convincing in that same little sequence there the the stinger scratches the ceiling. Yes. And it's a reminder of how 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 tough and how how sharp that thing is. It's a uh, it's a really nice use of the effect. It's uh, I don't know. So that did not give me as much trouble this time. I the, the, the very idea. I, I really I, I hate 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 wasps. So the idea of one that's like eight feet long was just uh, yeah. <clears throat> that was enough for me. So, <laughs> what did you guys think of seeing the Doctor and Donna just? falls directly into this story without really any setup for themselves. It's just they're there, they get out, they're in, you know, they're there. And what did you think of that? Well, well, they want to be there. You know, for for once, this is not a, you know, thing where you get out and look around and say, we're inside a spaceship or whatever. It's like, hey, Mm. we've landed at this house party and the doctor has his uh, psychic paper and we're going in, you know. (laughs) And, And then, hey, presto, you know. Agatha Christie. What about her? <laughs> no, I, that's that's me. <laughs> so, Clarence, what about you? What did you think of the the setup of how they just insinuated themselves into the story? Yeah, I agree with everything Lee just said. I thought it was great. Donna finally seems like she gets to let her hair down, and what starts off as something that looks like they're going to have a lot of fun, you know, join the party, and even though it wasn't necessarily fun for her the rest of the episode, I feel like she had fun. I feel like she was having a fantastic time, even though there was danger with the wasp throughout the episode. I still feel like she had great fun in this episode. And of course the doctor's a doctor. So in, in that sense, um, I feel like they fit in rather well. And then, you know, go, go on a romp with this famous person. <laughs> yeah. Is, it's like, oh, there's LeBron, and I'm hanging with LeBron. And oh, you yeah. play basketball too? What? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> <It> just happens. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite things in the episode is uh, the the uh, inevitable uh, Poirot. Like, you're probably wondering why I've gathered you all here in the same room, kind of scene, and the the doctor is getting to make his speech, and Donna is in the corner eating something. And Karen <laughs> says she thought it was grapes, but it's but it's like she's she's you know eating popcorn, like a, like in the the meme. <laughs> Like, tell me more. Hmm. So he killed him, right? No. <laughs> oh, so oh, she it. killed him. No. <laughs> like, would this joke ever end? Right. <laughs> but it was good. 
Well, you know, what I liked about it is, was we're seeing Donna in this episode more sure of herself. Yeah. And I like the fact that she got sent off to do her own thing. Like he trusted her once again to do something on her own that she's just not falling behind him, following blindly, just saying, okay, doctor, what this, what this, what this. She's off and doing her own investigation, so to speak. Now, did you have the feeling that the magnifying glass thing happened by accident or that was an inspiration of hers? Mm. I say that it was, that it was intended, but not for the reason that you think. How about that? Mm, no. The the guy who wrote the episode ah. I, I read in production has a tendency to distort the faces of the main characters in some way in all the episodes that he's that he writes that that's his like signature trope to do. Mm-hmm. And if you look, you see oh, her yeah. face behind the uh, magnifying glass at some point, and then of course it becomes a very good plot device. Yes. Oh, that's what I meant. The, the realization that she could burn the wasp with the, with the magnifying glass. Mm, I, Cause she sort of, she sort of throws her hand up, you know, just in fear, but the sun is right behind her. And I was watching it again for that. I think it, is that an accident or was that Donna? This is why I brought it up. Or was this Donna being very smart and very resourceful, thinking very quickly? Yeah. And I remember thinking the same thing when I saw that scene and it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. Because it very I much could so. be her just throwing her hands up in fear. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go another. But in direction. any case, she she is the one who makes the decision to throw the uh, the gemstone in the water at the end, and that's that's just Donna. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So yeah. I well I and before I say this, let me give a disclaimer, please. Anyone, do not try this at home. But I didn't know how realistic the idea of holding, even if it is a big uh, gawking you know, spyglass or whatever, that magnifying glass, would it even have the power to burn something? What? You never burnt ants when you were little? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever have you been doing with your life? What? (laughs) I had a, I I did have a small magnifying glass, but I didn't know that it did that. I promise. Oh yeah. I, I had endless fun setting fire to things with magnifying lenses. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'm the only non-pyro in the building or exactly. on the podcast. I've always had a little tendency to, yeah, towards flame. Yeah. Okay, well then, I, wood. I learned I learned something about both of you. Yeah. So cool. I don't say that as a warning. I just <laughs> I know yeah. never to make the two of you mad now. Uh, so that was good because that totally like messed up my train of thought. Excellent. Uh, cool. My work is done. So let's, let's go on to Professor Peach in the library and we see that he is killed at exactly 4.15 PM. Did any of you or either of you or, and ultimately any of you listening send us some feedback, but did you have an idea or remember or have a thought of who the killer was at this point? Uh, I did, yeah. Okay, so why? Why did you? And how did you? And who was it? Oh, because I've seen the episode about oh. ten times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, first time watching then. Did you have an idea? Oh, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. What about you, Clarence? I did not. Is, is there anything significant about the 415? That- I- that was the time that they said that it happened. I just remember. Uh, oh, um, I thought it had some greater significance. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, that was my note of that was the time it happened because that was when they did the interview. The doctor asked everyone, where were you at 415? Right. Okay. Okay. No, I did. I had no idea. None at all. Neither did I. Neither did I. And my reasoning for asking. This particular question was, this reminded me of staging of, of different television shows or movies or whatever the case may be, where you see this whodunit and they, you know, they had the time of the accident and then you see in the, even in procedurals for that matter, them coming back saying, where were you at this day and this time, this day and, and interviewing. And it just reminded me of all that. 
Sure. And and it's it's kind of a murder mystery meme, too, is that somebody looks up and sees somebody that the audience cannot see and says, you, what are you doing here? Or it can't be or something like that. And then bang or pow or whatever. And they die. I, I, I've got to, I've got to do a quick digression here, which you can cut out if you want to, Kyle. But, but I, I always love enjoy telling this story. I was in an Agatha Christie murder mystery, one of the stage plays that she wrote many, many years ago, uh, a play called The Hollow. Okay. So, played- so do you mind me interrupting real quick? No. Because my next question that I had for you, and I think uh, this will flow perfectly, was yes. my next question was Even one I would, is what now? <laughs> Nothing. Okay. So my next question that I actually had for you that I was going to point to you was mm. how did you and when did you first discover Agatha Christie? So if you'll answer that one first, then I yes. think that'll segue great into your story. Oh, okay. Uh, I have no idea. But <laughs> okay. to get back to my story. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. I was playing the butler who did not do it. But – um at the end of Act One, there is a fellow who is uh, in the library, and he's looking at a book, and he looks up, and he sees somebody, and he says, what are you doing here? No, no, put that gun down. Bang. And the lights go out, end of Act One. All the way through to the end of the play, we, 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 you know, of course, there's all these different suspects. Everybody, you know, is, uh, is, uh, uh, under the magnifying glass at some point or another. And it turns out it was his wife, his, his estranged wife, Gerda. It's the last person you would have expected. So that's the big surprise is that it was hmm. Gerda. One night in performance, the fellow who was playing the intended victim, he was played his little scene in the library. He's looking at the book and he looked up and he said, what are you doing in here, Gerda? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, put that gun down. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. As all of us backstage, the curtains and <laughs> yeah, right. send everybody home. Yeah. <laughs> we're all going, well, what, what do we do now? Do we, <laughs> let's change the ending. <laughs> That's right. So what, so what did you do? We played on like, like nothing else, you know, but you know, it's, Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> pretended, pretended like he didn't already tell us who the killer was. Oh, God. But, so, you know, the, the Columbo series, you know, every episode began with us seeing the murder happen and, and seeing who did it. You know, the, so the whole chase was, is he going to be able to corner this person into uh, admitting it, watching their alibi collapse or something, you know. So, so you know, the story can work if you know who the killer is. A lot of the law and orders like that, too. That's right. Mm. And, in fact, one of uh, Agatha Christie's uh, 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 greatest stories, I think, it's called the ABC Murders. It is from the point of view of the killer. As mm. you read, you are the killer. So there's no question who it is. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So, so do you recall – what the look was on that person's face when they had that realization <laughs> that, oh, bleep, what did I oh, just no. do? Yeah, I, I remember him coming off stage and we're saying, you said Gerda. And he said, what? Said, no, you did. You said her name out there. And he said, no, I don't think I did. So, yes, we all heard it. He said, no, I don't think. No, he, he was in complete denial about it. But. All right. Well, then what about the audience? <laughs> did, did anyone have like. Yeah, they didn't know that that wasn't supposed to be said. So, ah, yeah. Cool. Anyway. Cool. Cool. So ultimately, Long at that digression. point, the. Uh, no, no, no. I thought that was good. Uh, so I think the panic was internal, not – and maybe it was a good thing that the guy well, yeah. was in complete denial because that could have flubbed his entire rest of his performance. That's true. Yes. yes that's right. <laughs> see, see, always tell stories. Those were, that yes, was exactly. Okay. All right. So – you know, and if you do tell stories, we might just give you like a spike drink, maybe with a little bit of sparkling cyanide. You know, yes. who knows? So, the name of one of uh, one of her stories, by the way. Yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah. The script is full of uh, uh, the dialogue is full of uh, titles of Agatha Christie stories. So, like, like sparkling cyanide, for example. That's yeah. Yeah, so, that's that's one of the things I wish I knew more about her as a writer and her yeah. works. Because I I just knew there were so many things that was just going over my head um, that were meant to give us uh, all <laughs> throughout <Yeah>. the episode. <laughs> 
But it, it actually makes sense canonically, too, because in the end, the doctor, that last scene in the TARDIS, he's saying she her memory is supposed to have sort of been wiped of all of this stuff. But yet she seems to have held on to parts of it. So it's like she she heard, she heard those little bits of dialogue and she remembered them as story titles later in her life. You know, it's funny. And Donna's random remark about Miss Marple, you know, because she hadn't created Miss Marple yet. But so Donna did kind of create Miss Marple. <laughs> yeah, I love the end story explanation for all that. It seems pretty freaking cool. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I love the fact of copyright, Donna Noble. Copyright, yes. <laughs> oh, all right, we'll share the copyright. So what do you guys think of the fact that we see Agatha have this crisis of faith later in the story? Mm. And, you know, I, I, I kind of am, I feel like I'm ignoring you, Clarence, and I, and I don't mean to be, no. but because of, Lee, your particular genre of the things that you've done is just there's so many questions I want to ask you and looking at it from even what we do I mean you know Clarence and I are creators in some way in an audio form but you've done so much more in the written and you know audio and video for that matter what did you think of this crisis of faith that you saw them portraying that Agatha had. And as a writer, how can you speak to that? No, it's, it's really maybe my favorite thing in the episode, just sort of sentimentally, because I, I know what, uh, uh, what a crisis she really was going through at this time. And in her autobiography written much later in life, she, she herself, you know, pieces together what, what happened. Um, and, she, she did. She just had a, a breakdown. Um, that she, she really felt that her writing career had come to an end, which is hilarious because she's going to write another 74 stories, uh, before she's done. Uh, and, uh, and her marriage, she loved, she loved Archie and, and he just ran off with a younger, prettier woman, you know, like she says. And, um, she is, she just, she's destroyed. And this episode gives us this moment where the doctor, Gives her not just a, a you know a, 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 a pep talk. It's not just lip service. He's really telling her who she really is because he knows. He knows her future. He knows what she's capable of, and he tells her that her her mind is unique. And it's it's a wonderful moment in the in the episode. And I just I just love that. If anybody can do this, it's you. It's hmm. wonderful. So yeah. so Clarence, let me ask you. Why do you think? You know, you take 10 writers, you take 10 musicians, you take a hundred musicians, you take a hundred writers. Why do you think that there is one of those out of 100 that have something, whatever something may be that strikes a chord with people? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you don't Mm -hmm. either, but why do you Mm -hmm. think? I think some people are just born with it. <laughs> no, that's kind of like the easy answer. But, you know, you have the people that work hard to become what they become. But some people are just going to always be better no matter how hard, how hard you work. And uh just like back when you, your crisis of faith, I don't know if I really got that she was struggling as a writer in this episode. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of vague. It's yeah. yeah, I got more so that she didn't think that her skills as a writer gave her any inkling into finding out a real the answer to a real mystery is kind of what I read in that. Um, but I don't know. She she came through in the end. But you know that that was the crisis I saw. Hmm. I like that actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think of the, I'm going to call it a shocking gesture. I'm trying to like, you know, create little <laughs> chapters here. And my, and just out of curiosity, do either of you know what I mean by a shocking gesture? Oh, yes. <laughs> he what? needs a shock. It's the last part of his, uh, curing himself of strychnine poisoning. <laughs> yeah. Not the shock I suspected, but we'll go with it. <laughs> But it's almost like a fan service joke in itself because there had been so much talk in, in social media of the time, you know, uh, you know, people talking on, you know, interview shows and so on that now the doctor not only can kiss one of his companions, he's going to kiss all of them. <laughs> and, uh, he hasn't kissed Donna yet. 
So, <laughs> so this is how it happens. Well, that that was what he needed, right? Exactly. Yeah, it, it was day. shocking. Same thing. He didn't see that coming. And you have to wonder why in the world would she do that? And and when Karen and I watched it again, we were just saying anchovies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still. So I'm assuming that has to be something that he liked to eat or could eat. Because I couldn't eat anchovies. I'm sorry. If they said stuff anchovies in your mouth, I'd be like, give me something else to eat. I cannot eat those. If you were dying of strychnine poisoning? Yeah, but he wasn't. He was an actor pretending <laughs> to be. Oh, well, we don't even know if there were, those are really anchovies. Well, that's true, too. Too. But the bag of salt is too salty. What? Yes. <laughs> too salty. And this whole, it, it really is. The high comedy of this is, is one of the, it's really what makes this episode great to me is them doing charades. And of course, she's terrible. Oh, it. she's horrible. <laughs> she's so bad. How oh is Harvey Wallbanger one word? Uh, like that movie Game Night, but the opposite. Cause <laughs> she, she is no good. Yeah. I can't say anything. I'm horrible at charades. <laughs> well, yeah, a lot of people are. Yeah. So, is one of those people. So, so if the three of us are ever together, together anywhere and they say, right. in a group, we're playing charades, say, not with him. Not with him. And I will not be offended. We're not on his team. Uh, uh, speak. Well, I'll, I'll get to that one in a minute. So what did you guys think of what I'm going to call all gathered in the sitting room? This yes. this typical trope of gathering everyone together for the whodunit or the big reveal. So, Clarence, what did you think? What did you what did you think about this particular scene? Hmm. What can I say? I'm, I do like how it played out. Um, wow, I'm a little lost words here. What can I say about the scene? I don't know. <laughs> I'll let one of you guys go up. <laughs> well, it is, it is fun that uh, Donna's over there, uh, as, as a fan, you know, like she's watching a movie. I love that. So, I mean, part of what grabs me about this is the cast. I mean, uh, Agatha Christie is a Fernando Wolgar, who is somebody that, um, if you're a fan of, uh, British television as I am, you know her from Call the Midwife and you probably uh, knew her from uh, Home Fires. And uh, I enjoyed her very much in both of those shows playing very, very different characters. And here she gets to be Agatha Christie. But uh, golly, who else is in the room at the same time? Christopher Benjamin, uh, who fans of the classic series remember as Henry Gordon Jago from The Talons of Wing Chiang. It's one of the great character Favorite. roles of all yeah. classic who. Yeah. And uh, so here he is again. And he has the, the, that scene gives him the funny moment of confessing that he doesn't really need to be in the wheelchair and realizing he didn't need to confess that. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God. That's another thing. <laughs> and the two Felicities, Felicity Kendall, who is somebody I always enjoy seeing. And the unicorn turns out to be Felicity Jones, without whom we would not have the plans yeah, to so. the dead. We would not have the plans for the Death Star, would we? Yes. <laughs> Wait, say she what now? Beautiful too. She's who? Jen Urso. Felicity Jones played Jen Urso in um, the – wow, what's the name uh, of the movie? Uh, 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 Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. So, so, so she's the one who who uh, actually stole the, 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 the plans? Yeah. That's why she – yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I went to see it. Uh, actually, I think at the same time. Yeah, I wondered why she looked familiar. Okay, cool. No, not not dressed the same, but that's her. That adorable face. Yeah, she's quite cute. It's cutie. How but, cool. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just a fantastic cast, and you get them all in the same room. It's just it's just wonderful. And uh, and and she gets to do two two accents. I always enjoy that. So. She has her posh accent that she drops, and yeah, all right, I'm the unicorn. What of it? <laughs> so, for, you know, for me, for this episode, I I thought it was and exactly what it was. It was the traditional, typical reveal of a whodunit, and I, I mean, I think it was executed typically as a reveal like that goes. And as usual, the person you would probably least expect, the priest, is the person that's the killer, mm, kind of. Typical once you got to get, got into it. Um, I, I, I'm kind of like Clarence. That was pretty much it other than what I just said on that particular scene. I 
want to go a little bit more toward the end, specifically when the doctor is showing Donna the impact left by Agatha Christie. And we see this year 5,000 as five a... Five billion. Five billion, excuse me. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, five billion. And that there is a replica reprint of one of her novels. Yeah. What did you guys think of that? What? Because I have a comparison I want to make as my comment, but what did you guys think of that particular closing scene? Mm, uh, I think we kind of talked about it earlier. It just like shows that her impact goes on and on and on. Now, I mean, who knows if she's the greatest author ever or not? <laughs> I think is what they said in there, but uh, it just kind of shows that at least in this episode, we're trying to portray that she's going to be a, one of the greatest writers ever. Mm. Yeah, and who knows by the year five billion or whatever it is, but but she is the best selling novelist of all time. Um, and right now, the last I heard that her books had sold something like three billion copies with a B. Mm. Uh, nobody's ever come close to that. I mean, the only books that that have outsold her are the Bible and uh, collected works of William Shakespeare, which you know. Is one of those books that people put on their shelves because they think they're supposed to. Right. So, but, um, yeah, she, she is simply the, the powerhouse of, of original fiction in the English language. It's just, there really isn't, hasn't been anybody else like her. And maybe there never will be. Um, the book he's got is called, uh, it, I think it, it says, the paperback says Death in the Air, which is one of the two titles of that story. It's also called Death in the Clouds. And if you know that book, it's a, it's a Poirot mystery, but there is a wasp that figures prominently in it. Um, I've never seen a cover of it that has a giant wasp on it like that. <laughs> but, uh, but it does fit with this idea that she somehow still remembered the wasp somewhere in the corner of her mind and it ends up in that book. So maybe yeah. in the in the uh, year five billion, it was the descendants of her uh, of Lady Eddington's son, the you know from the planet where the wasps came from that right. were the producers of that book. Yeah, and Who they, knows? they wanted they wanted to have the wasp more prominently, on the cover, exactly. Even though it's yeah, and make it bigger than the airplane. Yeah, but um, so 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 what year are we in the story again? Twenty six. Okay. All right. Yeah. And that is the year in which she really did disappear for 10 or 11 days. And, um, there have been a number of different stories and tellings and speculations about that. I personally like the idea that the answer to where she was was she wasn't anywhere because they skipped her over those days <laughs> in the TARDIS to take her to, to Harrogate. Yeah. But there's a, there's been a film recently called Agatha and the Truth of Murder. Um, which proposes another explanation, a really fanciful explanation of where she was. And I only bring that up because in the film, one of the actors in it is uh, Tim McInerney, who we just saw on Planet of the Ood. Mm. So, you know, everything comes back to Doctor Who sooner or later. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I would just speculate that she needed a break. She had an emotional break from some point and she needed a break. And I find that interesting. I did some reading on her before mm -hmm. this episode that the name that she was under in the hotel <laughs> is also, you know, it was a made up name, but it was just ironic that she used the last name of the person who her husband had had the affair with. Yes. Trump. You know, so yes, I just she did. thought yes, that that was. Consciously, deliberately. Well, yeah. yeah. You know. Um, I do find it kind of sad that they thought it was a publicity stunt, they being a lot of people in the media and some of her fans for that matter. Yeah, a lot of people were legitimately angry that, there, that you know, all the, the police in Britain were out looking for her. And I believe her when she says she honestly didn't know where she was. Mm. But uh, so her own memory of it is muddy. She wasn't trying to do anything or to make any trouble. But but yeah, she did. She just had to kind of a collapse from which she triumphantly recovered, I may say, and went on, as the doctor says, to have a fantastic life or truly yeah. amazing, amazing life. <laughs> so, well, the only other thing I would like to add about this particular scene or to this uh, discussion would be I liked how simple the 
reference to the book and reference to the year was it was not extravagant. It was not something big. But for some reason, that to me paid off a little bit better than naming the asteroid for Rosa Parks. It just, I don't know, it just felt a little more authentic, even though it was a fake book. No, absolutely. And I, I re- and the fact that she is right now the, the most widely published author in the world is, is a fact. And no, I couldn't agree with you more. There's so much that I love about Rosa, but that ending is really disappointing. And I say that as a, as a huge fan of astronomy and, you know, um, <laughs> uh, space travel and everything. I just, no, no, that's, that's not Rosa Parks' legacy, for heaven's sake. That's no, that's wrong. What about you, Clarence? Do you, what do you think? I mean, I agree with your point there. I mean, it, it really, the asteroid really doesn't tie back to what we know of Rosa at all. Oh. Uh, and the book definitely falls in line with what we know of Agatha Christie. So, you know, definitely this one we saw in this episode is the much better send off, I would say. Cool. Cool. And don't you love the the deliberate reference to the unquiet dead in this episode? And, and they're saying, you know, Agatha Christie in the middle of a murder mystery. That would be like, ooh, meeting Charles Dickens and there'd be, you know, ghosts at Christmas time. And the doctor just looks at her. <laughs> uh, so taking us back to the ninth doctor. But you remember that that episode ended with kind of the same crisis. Dickens asks the doctor, you know, is anybody going to remember me when I'm gone? And he says, oh, forever. So the moments are very much the same. Before we get into our favorite scene, our favorite quote, and then our final rating, do either of you have any more comments or points that you'd like to make that we have not brought up? See, Agatha Christie in the story states that the thrill is in a chase, never in a capture. And I was trying to remember, is that from some book? Or is have I just been seeing it on TV shows? And I like Googled it, and it came up with uh, four different instances. Interesting. Where, where that was said, it was said in Doctor Who: The Voyage of the Damned. Oh. Hmm. It was said in Doctor Who: The Doctor's Daughter, and of course this episode of Doctor Who. And also, there's a movie called Love and War: Voyage of the Damned, which is also said in. So I, I don't know how those relate, really, but that's weird. Very yeah. weird. Good trivia. Yeah. Uh, very good. Because mm. mm. I'm st- uh, hearing Lee Shackelford say that's weird is <laughs> that's weird. I mean, the only reason I really looked it up because I thought that was another thing that that she had wrote in one of her books that they were throwing at us. I'm like, okay, what book did that come from? And mm-hmm. I just kind of yeah. googled it, and yeah, that's yeah. what I came up with. So mm. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> All right, Lee. What about you? Any other? Notes or comments no, before we get no, to our others. I've carried on long enough here. All right. Well, let, one thing that I did find interesting that I did not know about this episode before I did some research on it, which was the the closing scene and the opening scene originally had a different bookmark opening and closing, where the Doctor and Donna visit an elderly version of Agatha Christie shortly before her death. And then the scenes that we see are more of a flashback of her meeting the doctor and Donna the first time. And then it closes with them showing her the book with the 5,000 again, shortly before her death. Do you guys like the way that they did Hmm. it proper or this alternate ending? What, What do you think of that? Mm, no, I like this much better. Much I agree. Better. Yeah. yeah, I agree too. Uh, I'm glad they changed that. Cool. So, favorite scene. What was your favorite scene, Clarence? Why don't you go first? What was your favorite scene? <sighs> My favorite scene was probably the most ridiculous scene in the whole episode, <laughs> and that's when the maid lady. Was it the main lady? Well, somebody, I can't remember who it was, was walking outside and she watches the statue be knocked over by the walls and, and just kind of just stands there and screams and doesn't just step one foot back. She gets crushed. <laughs> a, another, um, murder mystery, uh, meme, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was pretty bad. <laughs> All right. Lee, what about you? Uh, favorite scene. 
favorite scene? Oh, oh, okay. I love when uh, the 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 doctor Donna and Agatha are chasing the wasp, and it goes down the hallway, and uh, and the doctor says, you know, we got to get it before it changes back to human form. And there's the empty hallway, and he shouts, "Show yourself!" And all the doors open simultaneously, <laughs> and all the guests come out to see who said that, yeah, including that Roger. And then Davenport sticks his head out too, because he's in Roger's room where he's not supposed to. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so it's like home. surprise. Oh, second surprise. <laughs> it's just, it's a lovely, lovely little thing. All yeah. right. So my favorite scene was, you know, very hard to come by. Uh, that one I think was funny, but I liked, if I had to pick a favorite scene, I think it's going to be where they're in the sitting room or in the living room or whatever you want to call it. And they're going around and the doctors and Agatha are making all of these revelations. And you see the guy in the wheelchair announce that, Oh, I've not really been, um, you know, paralyzed. I've just been sitting in a chair because I think you're going to leave me. Uh, I was going to say it was Matthew. <laughs> yeah. And I'm right. like, wow. But A, does she never notice that he didn't have any leg movements whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, ever. And my second thing would be, isn't that a little bit of human nature or a, a snapshot of human nature that when confronted with the possibility, in some cases, they rush to own the story rather than it be owned by somebody else. Absolutely. So, nope. so that, so that That's was my fa- favorite scene there. So favorite quote, Clarence, what do you say? Uh, favorite quote. What was your favorite quote? Oh, this is a easy one. Um, when Donna first changes her clothes and she comes out to show off her new attire, she blurts out flapper or slapper, which <laughs> I didn't know exactly what those meant. So of course, <laughs> flapper is someone who dresses stylish, I guess in the twenties and a, and a slapper is, um, a, a, a lady of the night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and really by 1926, a flapper was still kind of a naughty girl. Hmm. But not as naughty as the slapper. <laughs> so in other words, she was so, naughty and she was naughtier either way. Yes. She's saying, yeah, is this, is this on the edge or is it over the edge? Yeah. <laughs> and he's okay. just, ah, on the edge. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Lee, what about you? What was your oh, favorite quote? Oh, there's so many. I just can't. I, there's, it's such a quotable episode, but I, the, the thing that tickled me this time because I'd forgotten about it was that when the doctor's interviewing people and each one of them has a reverie, you know, we do the little warp effect and we go into their flashback, which in which it turns out they're all lying. Uh, <laughs> she says something about being a, I've forgotten what it, what Agatha says that cues it, but the doctor says, yeah, yeah, I was deep in the Ardennes trying to find Charlemagne. He'd been kidnapped by an insane computer. <laughs> like, well, you say a- the most exotic things or something <laughs> exactly. like that. Yes. No, yeah. she says Charlemagne lived centuries ago. And he says, well, I've got a good memory. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder she thinks he's insane. Yeah. yeah. All right. So for, love so for me, my favorite quote was shortly after the doctor and Donna – come out of the TARDIS and she looks over and again, she's paying attention to everything Donna is. And she says, all the decent men are on the other bus. And the doctor says, or time Lords. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. (laughs) Yeah. I'm standing right here. So final rating. So Lee, I'll start with you this time. Final rating. What would you give this episode? I give it a 4.8. There are, there are, you know, quibbles about it. There are the places where I feel like it, it, it sort of loses its way or, but, but, um, you know, you, you can't be a fan of Agatha Christie and not love this episode. So there you go. Right. 4.8. All right. 4.8. All right. Clarence, what about you? I'm going with a four and that's simply because I guess I'm not a huge fan of the murder mystery, but you know, it's interesting and I did have fun with the episode uh but you know i, I guess i need to learn more about agatha, agatha christie as he said very badly <laughs> <laughs> now for me i think i'm gonna give it a you know what i'm gonna go with the classic uh number for science fiction and say 4.2 i enjoyed it. it i can't say that i enjoyed it more or less maybe other than the wasp kind of just kind of getting on my nerves a little bit because of <laughs> the um 
you know, special effects. But other than that, I really had fun with it. It was enjoyable. I actually didn't take a lot of notes because I really just enjoyed watching it. So for that, 4.2. So that's going to be mine. Quick question, gentlemen. And Clarence, I'll start with you on this one. If people could find you elsewhere on the Internet, where might they send you? Uh, I would send them to YouTube.com slash Discussing Network to check out our YouTube channel. Yeah, that's it. All right. <laughs> Good deal. Lee Shackelford, what about you? I'll always, I'm going to keep on pointing people towards RelativityPodcast.com, where I just made a little, little upgrade on the website. It's a little bit of animation right at the top of the page, and I'm very pleased with the way it turned out. So I'm just going to say that so that maybe people go look at the little animation. <laughs> but while you're there, poke around, look at everything else. Yeah. And you've also, uh, as we're speaking, you're doing the different um, interviews each week. And you have this semi-competition, or while we're talking mysteries, of who's saying spoilers. Is that correct? Yes, thank you. Yes. On my, on relativity right now, I'm doing this series called Relativity Connections, and I made my own spoiler warning because we do talk about the series at some, you know, in some detail. And, um, there's a man saying the word spoilers in there, and I'm offering a prize to the first person who will write in and tell me who that is. Um, maybe not even his name, but just tell me where I got that. Where, where did that, that little clip, uh, audio clip spoiler. come from? Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, I would point anyone listening to check us out on Facebook at our Facebook group for the Discussing Network. You can go to Facebook.com, look up groups, and then just do a search for Discussing Network. Of course, you can always find that in our show notes below. So our next episode that we will have of, of Discussing Who, I'm just like totally excited for because finally after all these episodes <laughs> donna noble is going to the freaking library yes yes i'm happy and, and so is professor riversong who oh never mind oh spoilers the vash the vashta narada oh yeah oh you mean yeah. the, the 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 woman in the spacesuit i haven't met her yeah. yet who is she yeah Oh, well, you'll find out. I'll find out next episode. And I freaking I'm sorry. I meant to say spoilers. Spoilers. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audible trial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that?